You know, I have, I have really enjoyed this series on the Holy Spirit studying, but I realize as we're coming to the end, you know, we have not talked about the filling of the Spirit, the grieving of the Spirit, the quenching of the Spirit, praying in the Spirit, the Spirit who prays, Spirit in the Old Testament, Spirit in the coming kingdom, the gifts of the Spirit. Yeah. Maybe we're going to have to have you know, ghost stories, the sequel or something, you know, coming up. And uh, I think I would, I think I would li- like that. But let me uh, pray for us as we uh, continue on. Lord, this is your word. We don't pretend to have the wisdom, God, that we, we need. But we pray that you, Holy Spirit, would remind us of other portions of your word. Would you give us a biblical understanding of your text this morning? God, you, you, you know we've come in here, none of us by accident, and every single one of us with baggage and things going on. And so we pray, Lord, that you would apply your word to our heart. Uh, we do ask that you'd give us the insight, the enlightenment, and our desire is, God, if you, if you do, that we would do what you'd call us to do with it. So we pray that that would be uh, our commitment to you and asking you, oh God, to open our eyes, that Jesus would get the glory through this time even. In his name we pray. Amen. Um, my son, Andrew, is getting ready to... Uh, graduate at McDowell. You know, by the way, I have a friend, and I don't do this just so you know, but I have a friend who every time he uses one of his children as a sermon illustration, he pays them five bucks. Uh, we don't do that in my house. This is why I've had children, right, for sermon illustrations. And so we don't, we don't go down that road. But he's getting ready to graduate. He's in like a, I think he's calculus three AP honors, you know, kind of thing, right? Well, I, I looked into his calculus textbook uh, a while back and just kind of opened up and looked and I was kind of, yeah. you know, I wasn't, well, I had no clue, absolutely no, no clue what that was about. He tried to, he's very kind, he tried to explain it to me, which is, you know, makes me feel even more stupid. So I have absolutely no, no idea. I did not do well when, in math in, in high school, but when I got done with college, uh, went to Bible college, there weren't a lot of math classes there. But I had come to realize that math is the language of the universe, you know, and it's it's God's language in that regard. And I can say that, you know, I kind of did poorly in math in high school. I didn't have the motivation. I could blame it on teachers and everything else. But now I had the motivation. I wanted to learn this. And and so I, a couple of years between schools, and so I, I enrolled in that bastion of academic excellence Thornton Community College right and so I went there just to get this class it's a night class and I just wanted to learn math and so I took this this class the teacher was great and uh, math the, the class was costly I forget what it cost me but I thought it was way uh, beyond me at that point but I did because I wanted to learn this the kids in the class or students in the class were really interested in, in learning and and so uh, things were this was perfect environment of course I'm going to learn this I'm not a stupid person I can get this down and not a problem right uh, and so I, I tried and I bombed that class incredibly I can I, I, I think I got a passing grade but only because the teacher had some grace beyond that it was it was awful I, I can't uh, I, I got to the place when I got all done, where I was saying, you know what, I really did try here, and I had the motivation, and I, I, I poured into this thing, and it just did not, there, there is a math gene, you know what I mean, and I just didn't have it, there's a, there's a gift, 
that some people have, and it wasn't mine, or there's a part of your brain that does this, and that part was shut down, and whatever else, it was just something that other people could do, but I was destined to use the calculator my whole life, and so, okay, that's where I'm going to go. I just kind of forget it then. I I tried to forget it. I, I can still function. I think many folk view spirituality that same way. I mean, how many of us, at one point or other, we kind of raised our hand and we signed the card and we were dedicated and we were going to make this happen and the world was never going to see a Christian like us. You know, we were on fire and it was going to work. And we, we tried. We really did try. But we, we fell and no progress and no fruit and we fell some more. And, and finally we say, you know what? There must be a, a spirituality gene or, or a gift that I don't have or a special anointing of some sort. There, there's something that... I'm not made that way. I want to be, and I wish I was, but I'm just not. And so I tried, and that's all we can do, and I'll get it fixed when I get to heaven probably. But from this point on, the rest of my life, it's just, it is what it is. We get that kind of a mindset. And as we do, if you, if you think this through, we come down to one of, of two options here. Either A, we think God is a sadist. He has asked us to do some things that are pretty much impossible to do. I gave him a shot. I failed. No one can do these things. Be perfect as I am perfect. Oh, yeah, that's going to be good. I'm going to do that one. Win the world. Uh-huh. Yeah, sure. That's gonna, I can't keep myself straight, more or less the world. And so God, I don't know why he does this. Maybe he's smiling up in heaven. Maybe uh, it's kind of like the way religion works. People who get involved with it feel guilty all the time. And it's whatever it is, it's God's a sadist God. Or, B, there's a piece missing here that I'm not getting. I'm going to opt for B. I'm going to suggest that you opt for B. And scripture certainly opts for B on this one as well. That there's, there's something going on that we don't know. Hudson Taylor, a missionary guy in the 1800s, uh, very frustrated with himself spiritually. Because it just wasn't working. He was trying, it wasn't working, tried the mission thing. It just wasn't working, it wasn't working, it wasn't working. Um, and then he comes across a principle real similar to what we're going to be talking about this morning. And his life has changed. I mean, radically changed. And, and the, the China Inland Mission is born. Where thousands of missionaries bring millions of, of people to Christ in China. So that when the missionaries were kicked out... Uh, the church in China, the communist country, largest church in the world uh, because of this, this, this guy, this principle, I believe, that he picked up. So, so this principle that we're going to be talking about this morning can have a life-changing power. If we can just get our hands around it. To not understand it is going to bring about a good amount of frustration, uh, disillusionment with the spiritual life. Now, I want to open a, a text this, this morning. We're going to look at several. And we're going to go back, actually, and, and visit some of the texts that we started the series with. It's something that we've been alluding to throughout the series. We're going to talk about it yet, uh, drive it in, hopefully, this morning. But our, our first text that we're going to be coming to, uh, turn with me, Matthew, chapter 14. Matthew 14. And let me give you the background on this text, because John the Baptist who was Jesus' friend, he was Jesus' cousin, uh, he just was killed. You know, just a couple of verses before, just beheaded okay, for, for, for his faith. He was martyred. Now, John the Baptist was more than just Jesus' friend, right? John the Baptist was the very last Old Testament prophet. 
And Jesus knows the timeline. And he knows that the prophets all died. John the Baptist is right before him and is supposed to usher Jesus in. And John the Baptist is killed. Jesus knows, I'm next. And so what he does is he says, okay, guys, we, we, we need to, to get out of here for a while. Heavy ministry schedule, heavy ministry schedule, lots of, of people and investing in people. But Jesus says, we need a rest. We got we to decompress this thing. Maybe got to mourn properly. Maybe just think this through. We got to get away and pray. So he says, we're going to go out to the desert. Not a lot of people in the desert, right? This is going to get us out in the desert. We're going to get away from all the people, get out in the desert, and just spend some time alone. So guys, let's go get in this boat, and we're going to cross the lake and go to the desert. That's, that's the, the plan, right? But word got out where Jesus was going. And so thousands of people end up going out in the desert. And so when the, when the, when the boat comes in, there's all these people there. Now, I don't think Jesus was going, What? Where's the leak from? Are these people know what's going? I, don't, I think he was more right on time. He, he he had something up his sleeve, a lesson he had to teach his disciples, a lesson he wants to teach us, a lesson that if we don't understand, it's going to uh, preclude our being victorious. I think in in life. And so, so he, he brings these guys in. So he gets this, this crowd. He doesn't uh, curse them out. He doesn't try to run away. He teaches them. He, 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 he does healings to them. And then, the end of the day, in verse 15 of Matthew 14, as evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. Well, we have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. First of all, the, the crowd, pretty decent sized crowd. I don't have 21 on the screen, but if I don't believe it, it says though that 21, it says the number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. So this was not a men's conference. You got 5,000 guys there. How many women? Give them all a wife. I think culturally we can do that. Bumps it to 10,000. How many kids are there? I don't know. We'll give them two apiece, right? And so you, you deal with like 20,000 people. Now, this is really an astronomically large crowd. This was very unusual to have a crowd. This Now, in our day, Heinz Field, you know, holds 70,000 people. It's kind of a major thing. We got the PA and the screens everywhere, and so you can do that. But this is just unheard of, this size crowd. Jesus engineers, I think, this crowd. He's creating an incredibly impossible situation. And he looks at the crowd, 20,000, says, oh, guys, you, you feed them. And so they're going, you guys bring anything? I don't, I don't bring anything. So, so what are they going to do? So they, they, they track down this kid who's got a lunch. I was, I don't know, fifth grade. Was like, but was I that old? Maybe I was. I had a Charlie Chan and the Chan Clan lunchboxes. You know, those old lunchboxes. Charlie Chan, it was a cartoon, didn't last very long. But it was, but I had a Charlie Chan, the Chan Clan lunchbox, and I carried my lunch with me to school every, every day. And so these guys go looking for, for food. Now, we know the Sunday school lessons tell us that there's a little boy, he heard the problem, and he comes up and says, I've got my lunch, can you give this to Jesus? He'll make it work. We don't know if that's what happened. It was a little boy's lunch. But I'm thinking that these guys kind of surrounded this kid with the Charlie Chan lunchbox and said, give us your lunch, kid. Master needs it. And since they're bigger, they kind of took the kid's lunch. What do they do? And so they bring it to Jesus. And it's kind of hilarious. you got these 12 guys with this Charlie Chan lunchbox. And they go up to Jesus and they, here you go. 
And Jesus says, wait, did you see the crowd? Is you think, I mean, this is, they said, that's the best we can do. Jesus said, really, it's the best you can do? Yeah. All right. All right. We, 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 we can make this work. So, now, can you, can you imagine if these guys would have tried to feed this crowd on their, on their own? That would, would not have gone very well. Now, we think about our lives. How many things has Jesus asked us to do that are real similar? Be perfect as I'm perfect. All right, let's forget that one, right? Cross it off. That's never going to happen. That's not going to do that one. How about this one? Women, we want you to be submissive to your husbands. Submit to your husbands, which would mean that you put their views and their perspective and their understanding above your own. Now, that would, I think, I'm not a woman, I think that would be incredibly difficult if you had a perfect husband, but especially give yourself a blockhead guy who's got a sin nature, who's selfish and prideful thing going on, and you're going, you know what? I don't know. I know for guys, husbands, it says, husbands, love your wives. I think I could deceive myself into thinking I'm doing this, right? But then he puts a qualifier on that. Love your wives as Christ loved the church. It's like, who can do this? Who can possibly? Why does he even put that on there? It's impossible. I can try to get close, but that's never going to happen, right? Or how about this one? Rejoice always. Is this you? But you're like, should we talk to your people and your wife? And that's who you are, right? You rejoice always. How about consider it all joy when trials come? Is that you? You got that one nailed? No, I don't have that one nailed at all. You can go on and on and on. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. All of these crowd of 20,000 people, we've got two fish and five loaves. And by the way, the fish don't think they're like sperm whales, right? They're like sardines and five loaves. Think that they're like... Mm, vanilla wafers and uh, Olive Garden breadsticks somewhere in between there. We're talking a little kid's lunch. Not even a man, a little kid's lunch. That's what they got. And you look at this and you say, Jesus, look at the stuff you've asked me to do. You've made some miscalculations. Either, either, either you, you miscalculated the size of the crowd or you miscalculated the, the size of the lunch or you miscalculated my ability to pull it off but you just made some miscalculations here that's just well that's what the way it is so so what happens is they bring it to jesus verse 18 bring them here to me the little kid's lunch he said and he directed the people to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven he gave thanks and broke the loaves then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men, besides the women and the children. When Jesus asks us to do quasi, not even forget the quasi, impossible things, we can come at it a couple of ways. First of all, we can... Bring it to Jesus, this guy did, bring it to Jesus, and leave it at his feet and say, there you go, there's the lunch, there's the crowd, go at it, Jesus, don't know how you're going to do this, but just make it work, you're God, okay, go for it. And Jesus said, no, 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 wait a minute, come back here, you, you, I want you to feed them. No, no, I'll tell you what, Jesus, <laughs> it's just not going to work, you're Jesus, right, let's get this right, you're God, I'm not, and since you can create stuff, and since uh, you know all these people, let's, let's just save ourselves a lot of time here, you just do it, just you just zap it and just do it what you need to do, and Jesus, no, 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 I need you to do it. Well, Jesus, why don't you just do it, please? No, no, I need you to. And so in our lives, we'll pray. Oh, Lord, make me godly. I want to be a godly person. Make me a man of God. Make me godly. 
And he says, well, you got to meet me halfway here, Harris. Train yourself to be godly. Nah, this, see, that takes some work and stuff. And I don't, see, just, I don't know where to begin. And so I'm just not going to mess with that text right now. Just you help me be godly. He says, no, 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 no. I'm not going to mess with this crowd. I'm not going to feed them unless you are involved. Win the world. Yeah, right. So I'll pray. Well, Lord, um, make me an evangelist. That's a good, good prayer. I pray that prayer. Make me an evangelist. And then never go out and try to share my faith. And he says, well, well hang on, hang on. You expect me to zap you? You expect me to get them lined up behind you into your office saying, hey, would you please just share with me, Jesus, I want to get saved? Is that the way you think this works? You want to meet me to make you an evangelist? I'm going to help you out here, but you got to get out there. Ah, it's too embarrassing. And it's difficult. I don't know where to begin, and I really don't have time. Couldn't you just kind of zap me that way? It would be a whole lot easier. Just you do it, Jesus. So that's the, the first option is just have Jesus do it. No, don't, don't just have him do it. Second option, and we see people who kind of roll up their sleeves and they say, all right, I'll take this on. And so they, they go for it. They, and they, can, you, can you imagine if these guys tried it this way? And they figure out the people, and they, they figure out the, 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 the fish and the loaves, and they go, okay. Every fifth person gets a crumb. Every third person can lick the sardine. And this way we will get this sucker down. And we're gonna make, or else like try to cut up the fish 20,000 ways. And can, can, can you imagine... It's going to take a long time, and nobody is going to be happy, and no one's going to be satisfied, and the guys doing it are going to be very upset and frustrated and disillusioned. They're trying. Jesus commanded them, and they're trying for crying out loud, but it's not working. Have you ever been there? I'm trying to do what he's told me to do, but it's just not working. This is the two, two, two options we've got going on. Jesus says, you do it. But, but you can't do it with, without me. He says, he says, the work is beyond you. But it requires you. Now, we might think, well, good. If Jesus was physically here, piece of cake, I'll walk with him. That, that, but he's not. So how are we going to pull this off? Into John chapter 14. This is one of the, the texts we started with. Uh, you know the, the context, right? John 14, they just had Palm Sunday, right? I mean, Jesus getting near death, and they just he just came in on a donkey, a sign that he's the Messiah. He organized this big parade, palms, Hosanna, Hosanna to the king. It says that all of Jerusalem came out to laud Jesus. And so this is the, the electricity of this thing. It's like the, the Democratic National Convention and the Republican National Convention combined, but they're all unified, and they're putting forth their guy that's going to take on Rome, and the people are just electric. <sighs> We're going to kill him! Yeah, this is it! Better day, lad! We're going to win! And they're just excited. Well, that night, that's what we're at here, you can imagine the, the apostles, they're high-fiving themselves. They're saying, That's right. That's what I'm talking about, man. That's why I left those stupid fishnets. That's why I left that tax collector's booth. Because, man, we are, we're on the verge of world domination. You know, they're just pumped out. This is great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Jesus kind of pulls the plug on the party and says, you know, attention, attention, attention. I just need to make an announcement real quick. Y'all, I'm going to leave. And they're, wah, wah. You mean like you need to go pray and stuff? Because, you know, Jesus did that kind of thing. You just need to get away for a couple... We understand. And so, 
well, we were going to eat, but, you know, go ahead, and when you get back, we'll be here. And he says, no, 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 I don't think you, you understand. I'm, I'm like, leaving. And they said, well, well where, 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 where are you going? He says, well, I'm going to the Father's. He said, well, we don't have a clue where the Father's is, but we're your uh, disciples, and so we'll, we'll follow. That's what we do. And Jesus said, no, not, not this time. I need to do this one by myself. You guys got to just stay here. And they said, well, how long are you going to be? I said, well, it could be a while. Well, what are we supposed to tell all those people? Remember all the hosannas? And why in the world did you get the crowd? This was your idea, the parade thing. Why did you get the crowd so jazzed up if you were going to bail on them? And what about us? And we left everything to follow you for crying out loud. We left it all. And now you're going to be gone. And what are we supposed to do with the people? And now what's next? Do you understand, Jesus, why we're just a little bit confused here? And Jesus in chapter 14, verse 16, he says, I will ask the Father and he'll give you another counselor. We mentioned that, another counselor, one just like himself, to be with you forever. The spirit of truth. Oh, okay, well, that's, that's going to fix it all. Then chapter 16, verse 7, Jesus is still on this Holy Spirit thing. He says, but I tell you the truth. It's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. Oh, it's for our good that you're leaving. Oh, God, we're going to tell those people that, that it's for your good. That Jesus. That's right, Jesus, I, I believe that. Back in chapter 14, verse 12. Jesus says, this amazing verse, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. If I go to the Father, I can send you the counselor and spirit and him, you're going to be able to do greater things than what we've been doing. Going, yeah. Do you think they bought this? Yeah. Yeah. If you think... Peter, for a minute. When Peter was in the presence of Jesus, you know what? He could do some pretty great things. I mean, do greater things than this. Peter's walking on the water in the presence of Jesus. Tried doing that outside the presence of Jesus. You know, it just doesn't work. He's walking on the water. And he came, comes to realize that when he's in the presence of Jesus, he's pretty much bulletproof. There's no wind, there's no rain, there's no Roman guards, there's no viruses, there's no accidents, there is nothing that can touch him unless it's passed through Jesus' hands. He's, he's bulletproof. He can do incredible things when he's in the presence of Jesus. And when he's in the presence of Jesus, he can be bold as a lion. Remember, they're in Gethsemane, right? Jesus in the, and all of a sudden these guards come, trained warrior people, many of them, and, and cloaked in their, their weapons. And what does Peter do? He yanks out this little dagger. Ah, on guard, come on, I'll take you all on, come on. So Jesus has to rebuke him, but he's bold, right? The rest of the guy, he's very bold in the presence of Jesus. And when he's in the presence of Jesus, uh, their ministry, all kinds of people were impacted in a major, eternal, significant way through Peter when he's in the presence of Jesus. And when he's in the presence of Jesus, he can say things that are otherworldly, that are wise, that are truthful. Matthew 16, remember this? Jesus says, who do people say I am? And Peter, ooh, 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 I know. He says, okay, Peter, who do people say I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ. That's the Messiah. 
the son of the living God. And Jesus' answer is amazing. He says, you know, like, wow. He says, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And if you check out Matthew 16, how did the Father reveal this to Peter? There's no theophanies there. There's no Peter hanging out by himself and kind of a spirit comes to him or an angel. We want you, Peter, to say when he asks you who I am, say he's the Christ. It was not. So how did... Peter, get this information from God the Father. When, when Peter is in the presence of Jesus, uh, words came out of his mouth that, you know what, kind of were inspired. He could say the right thing. He could understand the right stuff. He, he was bold when he was in the presence of Christ. You mean, Jesus, I can do greater things than those? Oh, please. And we see this, Matthew 26. You see this. Now, remember, Jesus, that night, he's, he's arrested. And so the disciples are on their own. Now, no presence of Jesus anymore. In verse 69 of Matthew 26, it says, Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him. Servant girl, she's going to, this culture, servant girl, is going to be, you know, pretty much the bottom of the barrel. People would put their livestock often above, above the servant girl. Uh, she was as low as you could go. So a servant girl comes, and she says to Peter, you also were with Jesus of Galilee, he, she said. But he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about. It's kind of like wimpy, don't you think? It's spiritual wimpiness. Verse 71, then he goes out to the gateway where another girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth and he denied it again with an oath this time. I don't know the man. And after a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely you are one of them, for your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses on himself. And he swore to them, I don't know the man. What are you talking about? May God strike me down if I even seen this guy before. You know, he's just really pretty wimpy. No boldness. No more. When he's not in the presence of Jesus. Let's go south in a hurry, right? He takes this wimpiness into, into uh, Acts 1. And Acts 1, you know, they're nervous. They're, 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 they're thinking back. Uh-oh, because when Jesus was going face-to-face with the Sanhedrin guys, and he was calling them out, and they were getting in this debate, and Jesus was just blasting them. We all kind of flanked Jesus and pulled this. <laughs> it stinks to be you. Listen, this guy... <laughs> And now they kill Jesus. They're going to remember this. We, we, oh, we are in all kinds of trouble. So they, they're, they got the door locked. They're, I think they're hiding under the table. They're, they are, are nervous. X1. X2. The door is swinging on its hinge. The, the room is empty. And every one of those guys are out in the street boldly proclaiming Jesus. And you say, what happened between X1 and X2? Well, the, the resurrection of Christ and the coming of the Holy Spirit. See, it, it, when the Spirit's presence, Jesus via the Holy Spirit's presence, the, the Holy Spirit's presence, Peter is bold. And this time, not just bold because Jesus is next to him, but, but bold because the Spirit is. In, in Acts 5, this is, uh, and we go all over the place in, in, in Acts, but Acts 5. It, he was challenged in his preaching because he was so bold. Shut up, Peter. Cut it out or you're dead. He keeps going, right? 
Verse 28, they brought him in and they said, we gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. I'm sure that didn't go well with these guys. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. It's just, he's not wimpy anymore. He's got boldness going on. In, 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 Acts, in Acts 1, I don't have any of this on the screen. X2 is the coming of the Holy Spirit. When we today come to know Christ, we get the Holy Spirit immediately. Acts, really, book of, of transition, kind of between the Old Testament and New Testament. So these guys get into the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. And it says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. You say, well, well, why are these guys speaking in tongues? I mean, that's cool and all, I guess. But why are they doing it? Listen, verse 5. Now, very next verse. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we, this is, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. And you follow the, the, the chapter, and, and Peter, because he's bold, he, he, he's, he's no longer hiding under the table, he shares with them what this means. That Jesus, same message he gave in, in five basically, died for you. And he rose from the dead, and at the very end, what happens, chapter 2, 3,000 people come to know Christ. and uh, The reason why the Spirit comes is so, uh, see, the Spirit knows this, this job they've been given, going to all the world, right? And he knows that's like 20,000 people with two fish and five. They can't do that. There's no way they can do that. So the Spirit comes, and what happens here is all these people hear the good news of Jesus. All these people who are a different culture, these people, these, these, these first disciples, laymen, these guys weren't trained in seminary. I mean, some of them had walked with Jesus, but there were many. And they, they, and they went, got out of their comfort zone. They shared with people across cultural boundaries. And people came to know Christ. One of the key reasons why the, the Spirit comes is because he knows the task we've done. And we try to do that in our flesh. And you know what? It's just not going to work. We're going to be frustrated in a major way. But when we lean into the Spirit, Spirit comes as well that we might be the people he's called us to be. That these things like love your, your wife, that submit to your husband, be perfect. That, that as we lean into the Holy Spirit and 
seek to feed the crowd, what happens is, is he works that in our life. That's the fruit of the Spirit. We're able to start being those things. He comes giving us gifts, not for ourselves, right? So we can help other people be these things. The Spirit's job, bringing glory to the Father by exalting Jesus. That's his job. Three ways. By uh, allowing us to be whom we're called to be, because we can't do it on our own. That leads to frustration. By uh, helping us to influence others, because we can't do it on our own. That leads to frustration and name-calling, all kinds of bad things. By, by allowing us to actually reach the world, because we can't do that on our own. And so much problems in the church in my life is when I try to do these things without any conscious thought of his presence. I'm just going to go run and do these things and fail and fail and fail. But when I'm conscious of his presence and I'm leaning into him as I seek to do those things, even if the result isn't exactly what I want, there is an incredible peace. There is an incredible understanding. I'm on the right road. We're moving in the right direction. And so let me just encourage as we wrap up this whole series on the Holy Spirit. Perhaps you have him. As, I mean, as a believer, you do. But you're not leaning into him. As you're trying to do the Christian life thing on your own. You're trying to make an influence on other people on your own. Whether they're people in the body or, or people outside. You're frustrated. Well, maybe because you're not leaning into the Spirit. You know, it's interesting. When we got in town, uh, my son Andrew, uh, seventh grade, he got some sort of deal at Mercyhurst and uh, would go just a couple of days a week into their high school. So he's in seventh grade, but he's taking their ninth grade Algebra one honors in seventh grade, right? So he comes home after that first day and he brings the book and he throws it on the table in front of me and says, oh, Dad, you got to help me. I said, you want me to help you? I don't think that's, uh, that's going to work for us. I don't think that's the best plan here. But I know somebody who can. And I don't know if you remember, Bob and Eloise Hostetler came here until they left a few years ago to go to, out to Virginia. Well, Bob's got his major degree in math from Penn State. Bob taught math at Barron. Bob wrote the book. He has multiple textbooks on Algebra 1, Algebra 2, trigonometry, calculus. He's got them all. The guy who knows math is Bob Hosteller, right? Well, well, I would catch Drew on a regular basis. I'm talking a regular basis that year in our office, Skyping with Mr. Hosteller. And Mr. Hosteller, what do you do with this one? And what's this about? What are they asking for? And don't you know, this was Bob, this was ninth grade high school math. Bob could have done this in a second form, but he didn't. He worked with Drew. He would make sure that Drew was going in the right way. But he let Drew struggle a little bit because he needed Drew to learn this. But there's no way he would have got it without, without Bob. We've got within us the Holy Spirit. And as we lean into him, as we go through all of what he's called us to do, it's not going to be easy. There's going to be work, sweat equity. We've got to pick up the loaves and take care of it and reach out to the people. But in the process, as we do, leaning into him... There'll be, there'll be a joy. It's a fruit of the fruit of the Spirit. As we, we do this, it won't, be, it won't be a labored burden. It'll be joyful. The ride will be, will be peace. It will be of love. What incredible. That's, that's a ride I want to be on, man. He promises that. Would you, would you pray with me?
we just want to and take just a moment maybe recommit yourself anew to him thanking him for his spirit whose commitment way beyond ours is that we are godly and that we are fruitful for right reasons And that thing, whatever it is in your life that you're struggling with right now, you can give that to him as well. He knows about it. That that sin that you continue to struggle with, you can lay that down at his, he knows about that. And you might need to do more than just lay it at his feet. You might need to go out and get some action involved to separate yourself from it. But as you do, leaning into him. It's power. Lord, thank you. Oh God, thank you that you, Jesus, you didn't leave us alone and it was for our our benefit that physically you left this earth. You've given us your Holy Spirit. You indwell us even through him. We're we're not left as as orphans and you've given us the, the word to teach us, to remind us that you, oh sovereign God, are right here with us. You, oh omnipotent God, are right here with us in all of who you are is at our disposal for godliness, for holiness. It's our desire, Lord. So, so Father, as, as we continue on in our, our lives down here till you call us home, would you teach us more and more of your Holy Spirit, not just in our heads, but God, that we might lean into him, that we might know his power, that we might serve alongside of him that we might minister alongside of him that we might listen I would pray that that would be true for myself and for these folk that we would practice uh, just that feeling of your spirit I would ask that in the name of, of Jesus and even as we take up this offering now Lord we would pray that, that it would go towards building this information this knowledge into your people here that we wouldn't raise a generation of kids and youth who just have the right answers but they're not leaning into you that they don't have that experience of relationship with you that as we put the word out in our community and in this world that it wouldn't just be egghead data but it would be relationship with you I would pray that that would be so would you use it that way and for those who are responsible for dispersing it God would you would you remind how it needs to be sent out in a way to please and honor you. Thank you, in your son's name. Amen.